Hey everybody, welcome back to Politics in Perspective. This is episode 16, I believe. Um, wow, we're really getting up there. Uh, if you haven't, make sure to check our double upload from last week, Miss Tucker and Miss Bach. We're talking about AAPI racism and um, diversity and equity um, initiatives in within America and within our school's community. Really enlightening stuff. Make sure you check those out. Um, and in that kind of same spirit, we have, we're just going to cover some current events today. Chiefly, um, uh, Derek Chauvin, uh, the verdict finally came in just a couple days ago. Um, and uh, Taylor, what is your reaction to that? Yeah. Um, well, I guess before that, just acknowledging that it's been a while since you've probably heard from us. We've been a little, not, not super, uh, not super organized with our uploads, not super consistent, but we are back. This is a good episode. We have a ton of good stuff planned for the future. Um, so make sure you stay tuned. We're going to try to upload every week from here on out for the next month or two. Um, so yeah, but just had to say that, but in terms of the Chauvin direct, you know, I'm glad he was guilty because he was guilty on all three charges. And I'm glad that the jury did its job. I'm glad that justice was served. Um, however, you know, it, it, you can't really celebrate too much because this should be the norm. This shouldn't be like a, it shouldn't be a surprise that a cop is getting convicted for a crime that he committed. Uh, it should, it should be the norm. It should be, it should apply to every cop, you know, the, the people who murdered Breonna Taylor, people who murdered Eric Garner, et cetera. You know, those people are still, those people are still out there. Justice hasn't been served in those cases. Um, so I think it's something, I think the Chauvin verdict is something that you can say, this is promising. Now we have to make, we have to hold every other officer accountable and, and ensure that justice is served in every other case. Exactly. And that's, that's really the key to, to say that I think since 2000, um, I think out of all of the reports of, of off, officer misconduct with unarmed individuals of any race, only seven um, officers have been convicted um, in all. Um, so that's that I feel like that's less than a 1% uh, rate. And these are for people who are sworn to protect and serve um, the communities. And, and, and the biggest thing is, these are these are the high profile cases. These are the ones that get the most visibility. But really, police killings are not are not um, the 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 issue. Um, they are not the greater issue with the police force, and it's it really comes down to over policing of of certain communities and and things that do the most lasting damage. So we have to remember that um, although police shootings are tragic, they're easy to see and say that's not right that's injustice but it's important to remember that injustice is going on every day on every um corner on on in every city so um so keep that in mind that's that's right that's a really good point you know it's not it's not just about it's not just about ensuring that justice is served it's about actual police reform on the local state and national level frankly and you know ensuring that Police are there not not just to kill people. Obviously, they're 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 actually there to help people. That's really their job. But let me let me pose you this question because you know I was actually on a plane when I was watching the defense and the prosecution present their arguments. I was on a plane flying back from some college visits. Um, and you know I was listening to all the arguments. Did you think what did you think the verdict was going to be? Uh, I think we were talking about it in French class. Um, after after I said I didn't really have a doubt that it was going to be um guilty. I felt one. I felt like the country was ready uh, for a, a guilty verdict, 
And then two, I thought the defense did just a terrible job. Um, really, it was a boring. It was kind of boring, right? The actual trial, so I didn't get to watch all of it. But from what I did see, um, it kind of just seemed like the defense would make kind of like a wishy-washy kind of half-baked argument, and then the prosecution was right back with a with a witness to kind of just easily dismantle it. I didn't think that it was close. I know. Um, a lot of people on the political right um, were were sure that it was he was he was not guilty, and they now they're trying to make a case, which is or they were they were saying that this this guy is this guy is innocent. But I think that's ironic when at the beginning of the um, of of when when George Floyd was killed, the weeks after, pretty much everybody was in agreement um, that that this was this is wrong. And only once did the, once the trial started to ramp up, did people actually take the position of defending Derek Chauvin. So I thought um, I enjoyed that hypocrisy from the right. Um, of course, I wish that it wasn't such a serious issue. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I was when I was watching, I watched the defense closing argument on the plane. It was like two and a half hours, and I was just pretty much put to sleep. I ended up changing the channel just because. It's it's not only boring, but it's also not effective because, yeah, he might have made he might have made some good points in there, but it just gets they just get overlooked because there's like so much to take in and so many kind of points that aren't really aren't really that important. You know, it's hard for it's hard for the good moments to stand out. So it was not only boring, it was just ineffective. And yeah, I definitely think he could have done a better job. But, you know, either way, it was still a tough, a pretty tough position. He was pretty much guilty. I think the video said it all. Um, So, yeah. We know what I thought was the funniest thing it was Steven Crowder, right, on YouTube, doing the recreation of the George Floyd um, death, which was, one, just the most disgusting thing ever, just in principle. Uh, but two, hilarious, because um, halfway through, he realized that it wasn't going so well, and he had the, the guy, you could, you could tell, like, the guy started... His, one of his friends who was dressed in this like cosplay kind of um, police officer uh, attire and he had his knee on his neck at, at the start. But then after after like a minute or so, Crowder was like, if you see in the video, it's actually on his back. So he, the, the, the fake police officer just literally had his knee on his Steven Crowder's back um, and not even putting his full weight, just like putting just a little knee on there. And... Um, and that was supposed to be Stephen Crowder's proof that George Floyd died of a fentanyl overdose. I think it's ridiculous how how the lengths that that some people uh, were willing to go to to kind of prove this point because this because unfortunately instead of being just a a trial, um, it's now become a culture war uh, kind of position. And anybody who's for George Floyd guilty verdict is now against police and everybody who's um for a a a a not guilty verdict is now a just a supporter of all police it's it's really bizarre how people can um simplify the kind of the circumstances to that degree yeah and i think it's it's interesting and also just like kind of sad that these days you know it's so hard it's so hard to be unified you know i i feel like every party has to disagree with the other on any type of issue just, just to like keep, keep like, just like motivate their base, you know, get them energized. Um, because I, re- I remember back, 
back in late May, early June, when George Floyd did, when, when the video of George Floyd's death did show up, like, I don't think there was anyone out there defending Chauvin. I mean, even President oh, Trump. Oh, Candace Owens, but. Okay, well, she's, she, she's, she's irrelevant. But, like, even, even Trump, I remember, released a statement saying, like, I'm shocked at, like, seeing this or whatever. You know, it was probably not perfect, but at least he said something. I feel like everyone was kind of shocked, angry by his death. And now, and now look what it's transitioned to. It's transitioned to just some partisan thing where if you're a Republican, you have to you have to assume that the cop's not guilty. And, you know, it's just, it's just it, it says a lot about the sad state of politics in our country, how everything has to be so bitterly divided and everything kind of just, just turns into, like you said, it's a culture war. And I just don't see an end in sight. I think... The, the biggest problem in this culture war is now people are just looking at issues as Democrat and Republican. And I think it all traces back to kind of like this fake news idea. And I, I see it all the time from, from conservative um, and, and some left-leaning uh, pundits that, um, that they, they treat all arguments as kind of the same. There's no, they groom their audience to just view um every kind of opinion as um just just kind of like a miasma melange of just kind of things that are democrat and republican there's people are unable these days to kind of discern a good argument or a um or a a quality position um now everything is just kind of grouped into this big um big just this cloud of ideas and they either are republican or democrat um that's if if our state of the country is going to change that kind of view of everything goes now what do i now what aligns with my positions um that that thinking has to go yeah move on yeah and that rhetoric actually is a great transition to what we're going to talk about next which is these laws that are being passed in states that are in the news all too frequently, Georgia and Florida in particular have passed a lot of controversial laws in the recent weeks, um, you know, targeted at things like voter uh, voter suppression, controlling protests, things like that. Cole, what are your reactions? <laughs> it's it's disgusting, really. Well, the Georgia law, first of all, people. Yeah, well, let's, OK, let's do, we should probably for people who don't know what the laws are, we should probably go over the like kind of just give a quick spark notes first, I guess. Yeah, so Georgia passed a law, um, oh, it must have been a month ago, uh, that um, was ostensibly for election security going forward, even though there's no really evidence of election insecurity, I guess, um, in at all. But but this law targeted a couple, couple um, key things. One, implemented restrictive voter ID, which is... Um, which is a very narrow set of photo ID that not every citizen has. Um, and we'll get into kind of the, the nuances between just I, voter ID laws and the ones that, the differences between that and what, what Georgia implemented. Um, they also closed polling locations and drop boxes in, um, in certain communities. Uh, I think <laughs> just from the state of America, you know exactly which communities those are. Um, but, and then also created some bizarre laws, um, that seemed particularly, um, targeted at certain people. One, closing early voting on Sundays and, um, disallowing water or other, other kind of, uh, food items, uh, 
at at polling places. Um, and the Florida law, I guess, just for context, there are a few, but the most the most prevalent one was it was two part, twofold, I guess. A it it pun it heavily uh it heavily I'm struggling for the word. It, I guess it heavily regulates protests. Um, and it says that three if three people are gathering for a protest, it can be considered a riot. Um, and obviously those people can be arrested. And the second part is even is the is the crazier part. It says that basically a, mo- a motorist can like run into people peacefully protesting and not face any charges, which is pretty blind blowing to me. Um, it is just kind of kind of a ridiculous law. I did see that a judge has ruled it unconstitutional. So there's gonna be a legal battle over it, just like most controversial laws that are passed in these states. But still, ju- just its passage in general is just mind blowing to me. Exactly, and and luckily there's been swift blowback, um, clearly judicially for the Florida law, but also um, a, a corporate uh, blowback from the Georgia law, like especially the MLB moving the All Star Game out of Georgia, um, which which is a which is a a big move, and a lot of people say that look, you're actually hurting the black business owners. Um, by moving the the All Star Game out of Atlanta, um, a lot of people would have benefited for that increase. But is it um, is it is it worth it to have that marginal increase in income for that select community um, and sacrifice kind of um, the 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 um, black people's ability to th- their voice around the country and be able to or be on the wrong side of history. Um, that I read an article by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar actually on that, and he said um, pretty much that exactly that, which is that um, although some people might um, hurt from an income loss because of the MLB's decision, um, it's this is actually um, this is a, a statement that needs to be be made by the All Star or the MLB, and and luckily they did. Yeah, and in terms, I mean, in terms of pro sports, I feel like the the last year has shown us that the NBA is really is probably the best the best organization in terms of kind of standing in solidarity with communities who are protesting and kind of understanding that you saw when you saw the NBA allow players to put kind of whatever they want in their jerseys. Um, in, in general, it's just kind of the best run league and kind of the most socially aware league. And the MLB was kind of always always behind that. Obviously, the commissioner wasn't always regarded as the best. Um, but I think, I think this idea of this moving the all-star game is definitely, definitely a promising decision. Um, and, and it says a lot about it. So I think they, it was the smart move. And some, some people often argue that Colorado, which is where they moved the all-star game also has restrictive voter laws, ID laws or voter ID laws, but those aren't nearly as restrictive as the ones that are in Georgia. Georgia requires photo ID, which less people have, um, Georgia or, uh, um, uh, sorry, Colorado uh, only requires just a non-photo ID, which could be, I think, a utility bill, all these types of things, um, or a credit card bill, a bank bank uh, bank note. Um, but um, but and also, Colorado sends each person an absentee ballot, and ninety nine percent of people vote absentee in Colorado. So those those circumstances aren't at all the same, but. Um, the funniest thing I think from that was um, Mitch McConnell saying that corporations should stay out of politics. And you know what, Mitch McConnell, I agree with you. And I think that would have been a great sentiment if 
um, you, uh, if you didn't accept crazy large donations from from the same corporate. Have you seen that? Have you seen the Twitter account accidentally based? It no. basically it basically retweets like political tweets where it's usually these conservative guys who who think they're saying like cool stuff, but it's actually like like Mitch McConnell. It's very left leaning, so it's accidentally based and just retweets. It. I think it's super funny. I've seen a bunch of good content on there some some like some like will wit tweets have been on there i'm pretty sure it's just nice yes. that's hilarious but that was definitely accidentally based but the, the problem is um they were talking about so there's a federal voting rights act which is hr1 um that's sitting in the house right now and it would do sweeping reforms um automatic voter registration um more more drop boxes uh polling polling places um, and, and most importantly, it would force, um, dark money donors to release their names. Um, so big corporations, uh, rich people couldn't donate exorbitant sums of money to politicians, um, without, and still, still be anonymous. And that's a big problem to Mitch McConnell's donor base because they are huge, rich people, the Koch brothers, uh, Grover Nordquist, and these all people, these people hopped on a call with Mitch McConnell and were secretly recorded, and it was leaked. And some of these, um, and it was so enlightening because you can rarely hear politicians speak candidly. Um, and they, they, this was this meeting was to try to come up with a plan to combat this this law, which is unbelievably popular within the American electorate. Over eighty percent, they even acknowledge this. This is eighty percent of people support this bill when given a neutral explanation of it. Um, and it was enlightening to see how they they their plan is for attacking it, and their plan is to one um, associate AOC's number name with it. If AOC wants it, they their data says that thirty percent of um, Republican likely voters will switch positions if AOC's name is um, associated with this bill, no matter how much they actually liked it. Um, but their biggest problem, which is the most enlightening part of the call, was. Um, they were worried because they tried to associate cancel culture with this bill. Like they came out with a slogan, this bill is trying to cancel Republicans. Um, and that didn't actually ring uh, true with um, conservatives um, across the country. So that, and it's, I'm glad that cancel culture doesn't have that much of a political power um, that it would impact people to that extent. But it is enlightening to see that um, or see how conservatives go about weaponizing this kind of culture war talking point and how um, a lot of things that are talked about as cancel culture are really just um, are really just uh, manipulated kind of uh, slogans and how cancel culture is how the Republicans have have don't really have any solutions they really just have this this disgusting talking point. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like literally almost every episode we're always like, Oh, we need to talk about cancel culture. We're going to talk about cancel culture later. I think we do need to do that. Um, hopefully in a couple weeks, because I feel like, I feel like cancel culture, no one really knows what cancel culture is. And, and I feel like people, people kind of use the word as a buzzword just to kind of like Republicans may, mainly use that buzzword just to kind of act as Oh, cancel culture. Oh no, this is so bad. I need to, I need to go, go do, you know, I need to be energized now. I need to hate all the Democrats because they're going to cancel us. So I feel like cancel culture, just no one really knows what it means and it's often misused. So I think, I think an episode on that would definitely 
be good. I think we should do that in coming weeks. But, you know, I, what this discussion just kind of perps on what I talked about earlier, which is the state of politics in our country. You know, you talked about how this bill has 80% support. Yes, the, these politicians are still trying to go against it. Like at its core, democracy means that representatives and senators are supposed to be representative of the people and what the people want. But clearly that's not the case when they're act they're 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 literally doing everything they can to support a, an extremely popular bill. Um so I just think this is a pretty pessimistic outlook, but I just think politics has not turned into a, who can help the people. It's it's almost a it's almost a race kind of for survival now and how you can be in office the longest. Um it's kind of sad. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, modern political theory is just how to keep power, really, not how to make the world a better place. But something that politicians have been doing to make the world a better place, albeit limited, was work on the environment. And once again, um, the environment is front and center in, in American discourse after four years kind of uh, stuffed on the shelf. Um, Biden had a climate summit, or is... It's, he's still having a climate summit, right? Um, uh, with with leaders from across the world. Um, what is what has been your takeaways from one this climate summit and two um, Biden's uh, economic green uh, energy plans? Well, I think just having the summit is is a good thing um, because it shows that he's thinks climate change is a serious issue as it is, and that he's willing he's willing to work with international leaders to address it, which is something that was definitely missing from the last presidency. And it's definitely something that's an urgent issue. If we are going to reverse climate change before it's too late. Um, in terms of, in terms of his goals, one thing that stuck out to me is that he said he, he announced plans for the U S to have their carbon emissions by 2030, um, which is definitely a lofty goal. I'm not really sure how feasible it is, especially because during the height of COVID when no, like at the start of COVID when no, when no one was on the road, Climate emissions um, only, or carbon emissions were only reduced by 21%, um, which means that it's going to be pretty difficult to get to get to having it. But I think it's I think it's it's still good to announce that just because it shows like like the climate summit that he's taking climate seriously and he really wants to really wants to work to mitigate its effects. Yeah, and even cutting it by 50% is not is 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 basically no difference within the entire grand scheme of of the the world you know like yeah. it's not gonna change really anything um no, it's not. but especially it's, with it's, china especially with china because china, china already pledged such a big emitter yeah china and china pledged to i think they wanted to double double their carbon emissions by 2030 um in order to fund an economic increase and then decrease them to net zero by 2060 still that's too late that's mm-hmm. too late exactly and um and that's it's i mean unless it's a global <laughs> effort there's really there's nothing we can really do um unfortunately um yeah. except some people republicans like to say that we need to invest in green energy innovation until the market dictates that it's better to um uh, fun or better to be um these energies, renewable energies, are cheaper than fossil fuels, and the market dictates that people need them. In reality, um, in a lot of ways, um, some renewables, especially wind, can be uh, cheaper than um, I, I believe than than fossil fuels, yeah. and still 
the market is hesitant to adopt them. Um, I think, I think there's there's such a huge coal lobby and an oil industry inside the United States that the market won't fi- really fix anything um, in the world, and and it there has to be some government um, intervention on this on such a serious issue, and. Um, although that does seem like a nice, tidy solution from the, the Republicans, which is to invest in, in renewable energy until it becomes cheaper, um, I think we don't have time to wait for, for, for that to become a reality. Yeah. And, something, and to me, something so simple that so, people, so few people seem to understand is that transition to clean energy is also going to create a ton of jobs, right? Because... You know, you know that's that's what the Green New Deal is. It's 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 transitioning to clean energy and stimulating the economy, creating creating millions of new jobs. Um, and it, and it just shows that I feel like Republicans Republicans point is like oh oh the they always they always talk about the economy in terms of climate change, but they don't understand it's possible to revive the economy and address climate change and create new jobs all at the same time. They just have to. Well, it's, ambi- it's ambitious, now. you know. Exactly. Exactly. Look at it now. It's pretty much in tatters. I mean, it's because of COVID, but there's a real chance. I think we talked about it earlier in a couple episodes ago that we would be remiss if we didn't take a chance to mm-hmm. rebuild our economy now around green energy, especially since we have a um, a huge chance uh, exactly. when our economy this is, is the time is literally perfect for it. Exactly, and I think it's our last stop. Or last exit off the highway to um, to to fiery destruction. I know that's a little fear mongery, but I mean, really, it's, it's not. It's, it's not that far off. Exactly, an inconvenient truth definitely says that we could be there um, in in an unlivable hellscape. Yeah, unfortunately, though, in terms of the Green New Deal, it's not only about persuading Republicans; it's also about moderate Democrats too. Um, I think I think it'll be tough, but you know you just got to keep you just got to keep organizing. Groups like the Sunrise Movement just have to keep keep pushing. You know, who knows? Even even if it's not the full the full the full Green New Deal that AOC AOC's bill outlined, the one that was introduced in the House, I, I think any sort of progress is better than none. Yeah, and I mean, like, who? Um, it's it's just a buzzword now. The Green New Deal is just it's just a buzzword. And I think most people actually support a lot of the policies that are in there. The, the issue is that it's just, again, become a cultural war talking point. And, um, and I don't even know. It's- Let's not forget either. The New Deal was extremely effective. The, the F- FDR's New Deal. So, mm-hmm. you, you know, it, history repeats itself. Exactly. And, and here's the thing. Pogan's also... I think the debt clock is now again front and center, which is it's just ridiculous. But the problem is the Green New Deal will increase the debt exponentially. Like that's that we can't really dance around that subject. The problem is I don't think we should spare any expense for this cause. Um, uh, it, the environment and the economy are two are the most really the two most important things um, in in America and. Um, and also ec- economists, the general consensus is that if interest rates stay low in the country in, t- in terms of our debt, it doesn't, you can increase the debt 
um, indefinitely, um, which is, which is a little strange to think about. Like our economy doesn't quite work like a credit card debt where you, if there's going to be a due date where you have to pay it all off. Mm -hmm. Like if we take out money and build a factory, right. We actually have that factory and we, it, it creates money. So, um, it doesn't work the same way in terms of like a personal debt does. So, um, so uh, for a long time, Republicans were crowing about how if our debt um, went above our GDP, um, our, the country would just go bankrupt and plummet into riots and everything, right? Like Greece did. Well, congratulations, folks. We just, our debt is now greater than our uh, yearly GDP for the first time in history um, this year. And clearly we're still here. We're still doing well. Yeah. So um, debt is not the problem. Yeah, and that's uh, the, the problem is yeah. the economy or it's the, the environment. Yeah, and that's the argument. That's the argument Bernie and a lot of other progressives make too with their their bold proposals like Medicare for all. You know, people people always ask who's going to pay for it. It pays for in the long run. It's going to pay for itself. I get. I mean, I know it's not the same as like a Green New Deal type bill, but it's the same idea in terms of these big government government spending projects. Um, and I, I guess the thing I'll add too is that. I think another concern that people, when we're talking about the national debt and our deficit, the, people are always talking about, oh, we owe so much money to China. What's going to happen if China comes knocking for, for all their money and we can't pay them? I, I, again, I don't think, I think they don't China really owns own 5% of our debt. That's, not, that's nothing. That's and, nothing. Well, yeah. I mean, it's a couple trillion dollars, but in the, in yeah. the grand scheme, in the grand scheme of things, it's really not. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a much bigger issue than that. It's not just as simple as China saying, give us all our money now. It's a lot more complex and, frankly, not as important as these pressing issues. Like and, and a complex thing that even economics majors and professors don't quite understand. Um, the, the country's debt, um, I, economists don't really know why debt can keep exploding while interest rates can keep staying low. They don't really have a good explanation for that. It just is a phenomenon that happens. And they all agree that if those rates keep holding steady or decreasing that we can increase our debt indefinitely. Yep. I mean, it's easy for us. We're high school students. We understand these things. It's a shame that politicians in Washington don't, but well, they do. They just choose not, they just choose to not care because it riles up their base and makes them stay in Congress longer. But Josh Howley and Ted Cruz both went to Ivy league, uh, uh, law schools they definitely know this they just is you're either ignorant or they just don't really like helping people or both. just bad faith really yeah, it's just not being the person but yep i think with that is there anything else you want to add cole otherwise i think we can wrap this episode up that's all i've got um we covered a lot kind of mm -hmm. roller coaster of an episode yes hopefully oscillating between yeah, oscillating between good and bad and um, and pessimistic and optimistic. Um, but if you made it this far, uh, thank you. Yes, hopefully hopefully you got informed this episode, heard our opinions, kind of compared them to your own. Hopefully you're feeling a little frustrated, but also a little optimistic. There's a lot to be optimistic for, especially with the COVID thing, um, with, with more vaccines and stuff, everything's starting to return to normal. So there's a lot of optimism there. Um, and yeah, I think with that, that's a wrap for this episode. Stay safe, stay healthy. 
Um, we have a lot of awesome content coming for you in the next and few stay weeks. Stay tuned. Yes, yeah, stay tuned. All right. See you guys.